morning. It's so nice to be with you guys today. As Brooke said, my name is Braden Brookshire and I'm at the Ocean Beach campus. And so it's quite different down there, uh, as you'd imagine. So I encourage you, if you're ever in the area, come on down, say hi. But as you get to know me, I wanna just show you a few pictures of my family. Is that okay? Is that okay with you? Okay, this is my beautiful family right here. Uh, my wife, Ariana, we've been married for almost eight years. And my son, Cairo. Not Cairo as in Cairo, Egypt. Cairo, it's actually inspired by the Greek verb to rejoice. So it's actually, if you're going to be really literal, it's going to be like Cairo. Cairo. So try to say that with me. Say it like that. Cairo. There you go. You're good. You're learning some Greek today. But yeah, that's my son. And in fact, there's another cool picture from, of him recently. We were just laying down in the grass and, you know, portrait mode on your iPhone. Oh my gosh, I've been soaking that up. Technology, I'm not always a fan of all of it, okay? I'll be honest. Like, I sometimes am critiquing social media while on social media. You know that? Those people? That's me? Uh-huh. Meanwhile, being thankful that my phone can snag beautiful pictures of my son like that. So, proud dad. If we were in the days where you still had those, like, what was it, the pictures that dropped out of your wallet, I would be the dad that had, like, 20 photos. Like, that's me. So, as you get to know me, like, if, if you have children and I greet them before I greet you, it's because I'm a dad and I get it and I'm just excited to see your kids and also excited to see you today, too. But uh, I love people. And I actually commonly have to joke that I don't just love people because I'm a pastor and that's like my job to love people. Like I love people because I just love people. Like people are made in God's image. They are loved by God. They are special. And I've never met two people who are the exact same. I know that sounds super obvious, but like follow me here. Like people have unique journeys, unique stories. And so one thing that I like to prioritize in my schedule every single week is actually getting coffee or tea or whatever, getting together with people for about six to eight hours of my week. Like I try to block it off. I try to make it like a non-negotiable in my schedule as much as possible. Because in those conversations, that's where a lot of the real ministry really takes place beyond the administrative side of what we do or what we prepare for, the programs we launch or X, Y, Z. These kind of times are the times when you get to hear people's stories. And some of these conversations are lighthearted, they're fun, they're encouraging. And then some of them are heart-wrenching, backed by tears. But either way, this is important because this is like about people. So by the way, just as a quick encouragement, no matter what your role is, keep people the center focus of what you do above the task itself. Amen to that? Amen. Cool. So I love people. And often when we have conversations, one of the most common questions that come up is actually the question we're going to address today. It's this, what is God's will for my life? Has anyone ever wondered that question? Raise your hand. Not enough of you. Good, good to know. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's okay. If you didn't raise your hand, you are probably a little introverted about it. That's okay. I bet everyone has wrestled with this to some degree. And when I have get together with people, this is abundantly clear. And now let me just out something right now. When I'm talking about God's will today, most often in conversation, it comes up like this. It's like, should I move to that city? Should I take that job? Should I date that person? Well, you know, the hard thing is there's not always a simple Bible chapter and verse answer to those questions. Those take a lot of discernment. They take community. I encourage you to have people in your life that can help you wrestle with those hyper-specific questions about God's will for your life. Those are important, not neglecting those. Now, however, God's word has a ton to say about God's will. 
And I'm really interested in that. In fact, there's, if you didn't know this, there are actually some passages in scripture that explicitly say, this is God's will for your life. And so that should make us excited. That should cause us to lean in and be like, yes, tell me what God's will is for my life. So you know what? We're going to turn to a passage that is exactly that. So if you have your Bibles with you, or if you're on your devices, that's totally fine too on the YouVersion app or whatever. I encourage you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Three verses. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack here. But let me set up some context. When you're looking at 1 Thessalonians, like you might be saying, where is this? what's going on? And those are good questions. So first of all, 1 Thessalonians is toward the back of your Bible. It's after the Gospels, after Acts. It's within something known as Paul's letters. So Paul is an apostle. And Paul, though, wasn't always an apostle or a messenger for Jesus. Paul's life begun as a zealous, passionate Jew. In fact, a Pharisee. Someone who was cream of the crop, top of the line, And for Paul, uh, formerly Saul, if you're familiar with that, he saw Christians as the enemy. He saw them as idolatrous. And before we judge someone like Paul, let's remember Israel's story. When they would go into exile, one of the main reasons is because they were committing idolatry. So Saul, trying to do the right thing, wanted to purge Israel of this heresy These people who are venerating this crucified Messiah, what kind of thing, what kind of victory from a God would would come through a crucified Messiah? And it wasn't until Paul encountered the resurrected Lord himself on the famous road to Damascus. And here's the thing about Paul that's really interesting. His level of passion in life never changed. He had zeal before he met Jesus and he had zeal after he met Jesus. His zeal was just redirected and refined toward the right object. And by the way, I bet some people in this room are like that. Your passion in life, your zeal, it might, it's not bad to have a lot of zeal or passion in life. It's bad when it's misdirected and channeled to all these things that can't truly fulfill you. Paul has a lot to say about that. And so he encounters Jesus, and this man uh, changed the world, the Roman Empire, through planting churches, empowering other leaders. And then what we see now with Christianity today, by God's will, of course, has come in large part from the missionary Paul. And so how he would stay in touch with these churches that he planted was via snail mail, letters, Part of your New Testament is makeup of these letters. And so he wrote a letter to these churches. Thessalonians, the both letters, is written to these, this church within a place called Thessalonica. And it was a very prestigious town. They didn't take to the gospel so easily. At least uh, the government officials didn't like that the people were taking to the gospel. They went through severe hardship. And so Paul writes this letter to encourage them, to tell them he misses them, that he can't wait to see them, uh, reminds them of some important gospel truths. And then towards the end of this letter, he says these three things that we are going to read right now. If that's enough context, that is for me. So read it with me. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18. Read this. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you all in Christ Jesus. Some of you guys probably are like, that's it? 
Uh, you're laughing and say, hey, that's good. That's okay. Lean into that moment with me, okay? Trust me, I've been wrestling with these passages for a long time. <laughs> that's it. Like, that's, we did a lot of hype to get here. <laughs> and that's it. And some of you, though, might have a different reaction. It's a little bit of a sarcasm, probably, where it's like, cool, Paul, how idealistic of you. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. Like, life is great. Okay, that's good when life is working for you, but how about when life is hard? What about when life is not good? I think before we move any further, we need to re, almost rediscover and reimagine who this Paul guy was. There's a lot that can be said, but let me be succinct with this. Paul did not have an easy life. Following Jesus did not cause any gain to his uh, status, to his well-being. In fact, Paul was shipwrecked at one point. He almost was, he was beaten to almost to death more than once. He was eventually martyred for his faith. When Paul would go to these cities, he would go to, to spread the gospel. Rarely in the book of Acts do you read, oh, and Paul left on his own accord because he was ready to move and change of scenery. <laughs> Not really. Typically it was like, Paul was ushered out by the government officials and they kicked him on out and stoned him on the way out and they thought he was dead in a ditch. Paul. So by the, I'm, all I'm trying to say right now is, hey, like this, this gives this guy some credibility. Like when this guy talks about rejoicing, always praying, continuing, giving thanks in all circumstances, I don't know about you, but when I know that guy's story, I'm ready to lean in. I'm ready to be like, what makes this man tick? Like what gives this guy like the passion in life to say, okay, despite all those things going on, rejoice, pray, and give thanks and everything, I'm leaned into that. So I hope you bring your imagination with me and you say, yeah, I want to imagine what makes that man tick and what makes him say that. One more thing too, before we jump into breaking down each of those three phrases is this, keep the end in mind. Look at that passage again and notice how that verse closes. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In other words, you can't do these things apart from Jesus. These are relational just as they are spiritual. These are things that flow out of your relationship with God. In other words, we can't live out the will of God without walking with God. Kind of goes together. So let's lean into that today. If I had a title to say a sermon, I would call it three words on God's will for your life. So what are those three words? The first one is this, that we ought to prevail in joy or as Paul would say, rejoice always. And this is because joy doesn't always come automatically or by default. I mean, that's kind of the point. Like when Paul says to rejoice always, this is taken into consideration that like life is probably hard. For example, you don't have to tell uh, someone to rejoice when they're at Disneyland. If you do, there's a deeper problem going on there. <laughs> When, like, when you're in a circumstance that's great, you probably don't have to say, hey, let me give you an exhortation right here. You should probably try rejoicing. They're like, I currently am. I'm really loving life. I'm on vacation. Whatever it is, like, you don't have to. So there's something there that Paul is like, already saying, hey, there's a reason why I'm saying this. And by the way, kind of a nerd out fact right here, all three of these commands in the Greek text, these are imperative verbs and these are present tense verbs. Let me translate that for you. This is Paul's way of saying, these are something that are not a one-time thing. These are things you have to make a habit. You have to keep doing these. These have to become the rhythm and the steps in the stride of your life. 
So not only are they present tense, but these being an imperative verbs are to say Paul's exhorting them. Like when it comes to rejoicing, we commonly say this in our vernacular, like choose joy. It's kind of like that. He's saying that you have to make a choice. You have to use your will and your volition. You have to will joy into reality even when your circumstances don't facilitate it. And again, we can't do this apart from Jesus. So if I had to put Paul's words another way, I would say it's like this. We have to be a joy innovator, a joy innovator. And I'll be honest about something right now. A few weeks ago, actually, I guess about a few months ago now, time is flying. I remember having a conversation with some of my brothers and we were talking about actually the fruit of the spirit. And we were just like challenging each other and saying, hey, which fruit of the spirit do you feel especially challenged to, you know, grow in? And kind of ironic to me, because if you know me pretty well, like I feel like joy is kind of like what I ride on. Like I'm kind of a joyful person by nature, if you will, or enthusiastic and such. But at that time, I I kind of was confronted with this thing and like, you know what? I'm tired of being joyful until I'm not. I'm tired of being joyful until something goes wrong and then I'm just done for the day. Like where I couldn't like re- get back to normal. With it and, just, I, I, and so I, the, it's verses like this that have been really challenging to me. So there's a few things I want to do to break this down as we think about this particular word for us. In fact, Jeff, can you toss me that toy right here? Thank you very much. All right, guys, this is an excavator. I know that's called that, but let's call it Dig Dig. Can you say Dig Dig? dig, dig. Thank you, because I have a two and a half year old. So this is Dig Dig. Excavator's kind of hard to say. So this is Dig Dig, right? Okay, my son Cairo can innovate joy no matter where he's at if he's got Dig Dig with him. Like sometimes we're packing up to go and I don't care where we're going. He'll look at me and I'm like, Dig Dig? I'm like, got it, already got it. In fact, he doesn't have it right now. I bet if he's noticed, that'd be quite interesting. <laughs> Why don't I have Dig Dig? Because I'm preaching, son. You got it. <laughs> I'm borrowing Dig Dig. He, it's, he's needed right now. And a uh, very important job for him. And so the cool thing about Cairo with Dig-a-Dig is that he can bring, I can bring Cairo to like a pile of dirt and Cairo will build a freaking castle. Like, or I can put him at the beach and that's kind of easy. He'll dig some sand at the beach and all that. Like with Dig-Dig, I can put him anywhere. Like even the other day, he decided that the neighbor's house was a great place for Dig-Dig. And my point is anywhere Cairo goes, if he has Dig-Dig, that dude feels like he has creativity, he has innovation and he will have joy. Now, that's Dig Dig, right? Thanks, Jeff. You can hold on to Dig Dig for me. Thank you so much. Okay, but we have something even better than Dig Dig. Let me let you into this, okay? This is going to sound maybe like a really important reminder for you. Well, you've been given a superpower, but maybe better said, a super person. The Holy Spirit. And when you know Paul, you know that anytime he's going to challenge us with anything, it's only going to be done by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So when Paul tells us to rejoice, he's telling us to rejoice because the Holy Spirit inside of us can give us that kind of joy. This is the Holy Spirit who produces joy. In fact, earlier in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, he's encouraging them and he's reminding them how they welcomed the message, aka the gospel, in the midst of severe suffering, aka persecution, and some of them being killed for their faith, with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Which, by the way, this serves as kind of like proof that the call to rejoice always is not contingent on life going your way. Doesn't mean everything in your life that is happening is good and exciting. 
In fact, though, this is uh, one more kind of nerd fact on this kind of passage here is this, that if you were to look at like a lot of the Greek literature in the first century, when you're studying like what the pagan religions and such talked about, so the common Greco-Roman family, let's say, the words for joy and rejoice don't often come up in their literature, like in their religious literature or even their literature in writing to one another. It was rare that someone would describe their life with such color as joy and joyful and we're joyful people. Like that's just not how they described life. This was a unique distinctive feature of Christianity. Like because of Jesus, it's like joy was truly born in Bethlehem when we celebrate in Advent that Jesus came. He truly did bring joy into a dark and dreary world. And we're still seeing that happen today. And so with Paul, though, we see a man who was willing to embrace this paradox. Because Paul, as we already talked about, suffered a lot in his life. He suffered, but simultaneously experienced a lot of joy. How did those two things fit together? Man, well, that's the puzzle, isn't it? You see, Paul's suffering, though, doesn't seem to come as a surprise. It's almost like for Paul, suffering was expected in light of the gospel. Like, it's like, of course, the powers of darkness, whatever power they have left, they're exhausting it all because they know that Jesus has already won. Like, of course, anything that can go wrong, that the enemy can throw your way, he's going to throw your way because he's like a flailing beast that is dying and bleeding out. Sorry to use graphic imagery, but Jesus already won on the cross. And for Paul, he's seeing this suffering as the last minute, the last hour, the last hurrah of the enemy that he can do before his influence is completely eradicated. That gave Paul something different to think about when it comes to joy. That he knows that God is going to win. That God has already won. And so that's why, uh, to kind of piggyback off something that you guys heard a few weeks ago when Pastor Robert came to speak here, our lead pastor, and he gave a fantastic message in light of everything him and his family have been walking through, I'd encourage you to go back to the archives and listen to it if you didn't. It's kind of like for Paul, he would say to not resent your trials, respect them. Walk through the healing you need to walk through, absolutely. But these trials in our lives are holy hallways that God is using into crafting us into the people we're destined to be. And so that's why joy can simultaneously exist in the midst of those times. But it's not only joy that Paul wants to talk about here. He wants to give us almost like a tool in the midst of these three words. This next one is this. He wants us to push through life. And before you say, Brayden, that doesn't sound very sensitive to what I might be going through. That's okay. Let me flesh that out for you. So as, if 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says to pray continually, we're going to use this acronym here. Push is this, to pray until something happens. Pray until something happens. I think there's many people here that just, we need a reminder of this. God hears you. Like when you pray, God hears every word. And not even the ones that are spoken on your lips, but the words that are in your heart. God hears those. I also want to tell you too that God answers every single prayer. If the answer is not here yet, it's on the way. And so when we pray until something happens, though, we're talking about this key word here is something. I've underlined it in the slides here for a very intentional reason. Because I believe that no matter what you're praying through, what you're pushing through prayer through, God will answer that prayer. It just might not be the answer you expect or even the answer you want. So that's why we have to surrender what that something is. If you can do that, my friends, my friends, 
you are walking uh, very closely in trust with Jesus and he will take you on some exciting adventures with that. But when I say that prayer uh, always changes something, I mean this, it's either gonna change your circumstance or it's gonna change you. This is important to get. I need to repeat this here because I'm promising something so I need to be sure I'm clarifying this, okay? I promise you that God answers every single prayer. Now, again, it might be a yes, a no, or not yet. And no matter what, if God's gonna answer that prayer and we're encouraged to persevere in prayer, either your circumstance will change because you've been praying about it or you will change because you've been praying about it. Now, I know most of the time we're praying for the circumstance to change, let me just use, you know, statistics are really rough, so I'm not even going to give a percentage, but I'm, I'm going to put it more on the lop side, okay? That more often than not, it's going to be us that changes. Not because God isn't powerful, not because God doesn't care or anything like that, but because sometimes that's what's more needed than the circumstance changing. Something more lasting, more enduring. Could that be what Paul means when he's telling us to pray continually? But in fact, when he says continually too, it reminds me of even the words of Jesus. You see, when Jesus was setting up a parable to tell, uh, he used this, he was gonna tell a story to make a point to his disciples. And it, I love that Luke narrates the purpose of what he's gonna say. He says, one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. Always pray, never give up. What does this tell us about prayer if our Lord and Savior Jesus tells us this about prayer? that we might need to pray with some grit. We might need to pray knowing that it's not gonna be that first time we pray about something that typically something happens. Only in the rarest of cases have I at least seen in my own life that I prayed about it once and I saw something miraculous happen. It's almost like taking an ax to a tree. If you've ever chopped down a tree, it's really satisfying by the way. And you're swinging that ax every single time against that trunk. And then there's something that happens when you get to swing that one last time and the tree starts to, oh, and you heard that say, some people know that sound. There's that sound too. I can't imitate that sound. There's that beautiful sound and then you watch it fall over. What if you are one swing, one prayer away from that breakthrough? And I mean this, I'm not saying this in a trite way, okay? Hear my heart on this. What if God is challenging you to pray through this? Because again, what if God might be changing that circumstance, but what if God might be changing you? And what if both those are happening together too? Pray continually. I just imagine that's what got Paul through all the things he walked through. I didn't plan on sharing this, but there's this passage in the book of Acts when Paul's sitting in a prison cell. And I love this. this. happens two times in the book of Acts, actually, where he's in prison. His fate is uncertain. And the resurrected Lord appears to him just real quick next to him and just gives him a word of encouragement. Take heart, Paul. I am with you. Keep going. Paraphrasing there, but that, that's what we need to hear. That's why we need to keep pushing through in prayer because our Lord is not having us give up. And what if you're one prayer away from that breakthrough? So promise me this too, that you're gonna, you're gonna keep praying through whatever you're going through. In fact, I wanted to share something that I'm praying through right now. I got permission from this uh, friend of mine. His name is Jordan Wooden. He goes to my campus at OB. He serves in the tech and sound booth and uh, bless you. And um, he, he, He's only 30 years old and he walks with a cane because there's this weird condition that developed that doctors aren't actually quite sure what's going on and his health is just not really good right now. He's only 30. 
lives, was an active guy in all of that. And when I met with Jordan my first time, just to say thanks for serving uh, and just to get to know him more, the Holy Spirit put out in my heart, you're gonna be praying for him. You're gonna be praying for his healing. And here's the thing, I'll always pray for someone. If they want prayer, I, I will never turn down the opportunity to pray for someone. But there was something specific that happened that time when the Holy Spirit put on me and said, you are going to be praying for him. Make it, make time for that. Prioritize that. Pray for his healing. It's almost like I think God is trying to put me on the front row seat to watch what God is going to do in his life. Like, I think God is going to heal Jordan Wooden in a way that doctors don't even know. I don't know. That's why it's a little bit scary to even say this here today because I'm in the thick of it. I can tell you stories about what God has done but sometimes it's kind of interesting to share the stories that are in the thick of it too, because maybe you have some of those right now too. I want you to think about that story. What is it that you're praying through right now that you say, hey, God, I can look back to what you've done. I trust what you will do, but I'm in the middle. I'm in the middle. If you're in the middle, I'm saying I'm in the middle too. And a lot of things for myself personally, for my wife, for my son, for some relatives, uh, for Jordan and for other people too. There's a lot of things that are in the middle and I'm just encouraging you, I'm with you on that. And maybe this is why one of God's will for our life is to push through life through prayer by praying continually. And one more thing on this too, that when when we're talking about praying continually, that often is phrased as a spiritual discipline. Have you heard of the phrase spiritual disciplines before? Spiritual disciplines? Cool, only a few of us? Okay, cool, wow. We didn't have to talk about that more. That'll be awesome. Noted. Uh, spiritual disciplines, like, you know, reading your Bible, fasting, praying, and other ones like that are spiritual disciplines. But I think for Paul, this wasn't just a spiritual discipline. I think this was a spiritual delight. I think this is something that Paul understood that when he prayed to God, this was not just to get God to do things for him. This was about getting God. You see, God's not just a utility to Paul. He's not just a means to an end. He's not just the super genie and the super powered heavenly father that can do things that Paul can't do for himself. He saw God as he truly is, the one who's so worthy, the, the one who is so satisfying, the one who can, the only one worthy of our communion with him. And so for Paul, first and foremost, to pray continually, I bet embedded in, that, in those words are this idea of just to be with God. To pray, yes, to petition, to intercede, to pray passionately for things, but to pray to this God, just to be with this God that wants to eagerly be with you. It reminds me of this time of, uh, this happens so often right now. When I come home from work, uh, I, I open the door and I hear Cairo go, Dada! And he runs over to me with his little legs and he says, hand, and so he grabs my hand. He walks me over to wherever he's working on, probably with Dig Dig, right? Remember Dig Dig? And he goes, sit, and he points very specifically where he wants me to sit. And then he looks at me with this big smile. And sometimes he tackles me. Sometimes he puts me right to work on the construction site, what he's doing or whatever. It's just so endearing. And I get it, I have a two year and two and a half year old. Be happy for me, okay? He loves me right now. <laughs> I'm in it right now. I'm enjoying it. Um, but a few weeks ago, the Lord did something with that moment. And I love when this happens. That ordinary moment where God likes like Brayden. I wish you'd be that eager to be with me as Cairo is to be with you. Because I'm that eager to be with you. I like will never forget it. I like wrote it down in my prayer journal. I'm like, I don't want to forget this. Like, that's so true because there's like a picture to that. I, that's, that's easy for me to grab onto. The way in which Cairo looks at me with those eyes at Dada's home, you're here. Let's play. We're together now. Whatever was isn't right now. You're with me. 
And God's like, can we do that too sometimes? Like in the midst of this praying continually, I get it, but can we like have those times where it's like, we just put a pause on everything else? Can we do that? I feel really challenged in that way to be giving God the space for that. Like truly my own heart space when it's just like I put the pause on everything else. Oh man, I I have a hard time doing that. But I equally encourage you to see prayer as natural and necessary as breathing. We inhale a lot of stuff throughout our day. Like a lot of stuff. The worries, the fears, the conflict, the stress at work. What are you exhaling? Not just the carbon dioxide, like seriously, like from a spiritual standpoint, what are you exhaling? Because to pray continually, I think is a call to say, no matter what we're inhaling as we're going throughout our day, we can exhale out a prayer in response to that. So like, yes, have those concentrated focused times of being in the word, being in the Bible and praying, but also, and you need to hear this as much as I do right now, brief prayers are, in, are just as important because brief prayers can be bold prayers that God honors because the length of prayer does not determine the power of the prayer. That's a big facade. If you think the length of the prayer determines the power of the prayer, that's not how it works in God's economy. And bold prayers honor God and God honors bold prayers. So as you're inhaling stuff, I'm gonna challenge you to exhale some prayers this week. And then you'll know what it's like to pray continually, like Paul says. There's one more word within this, this rejoicing always, this praying continually. And by the way, I hope you notice the kind of overlap that happens between those two. I think that's intentional from Paul. There's one last thing I want you to lean into today in verse 18. And I think I would paraphrase as this, to find the goodness of God in everything. Find the goodness of God in everything. Or as Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances. Now, let me be super clear here. Paul does not say to give thanks for all circumstances, but in all circumstances. And that preposition will change your whole theology. Because <laughs> if you're saying for the thing, circumstances, that would be, that'd be me saying, or Paul saying, I guess, that like, hey, you know, that tragedy you went through, thank God for that tragedy. No, we are not saying that. We're not being tone deaf to the suffering and the evil that's in the world, the injustice and the pain and the hurt that we walk through. Paul is not being tone deaf to that. That's not the point to say thank you for those things. We're saying that gratitude can exist within and even despite the circumstances we are often walking through. And it'd be like this. In life, you will find what you are looking for. So guess what? If you're looking for reasons to complain today, you can find them. I bet even coming to church today, you found reasons to complain, did you not? I, I did too, so I'm not judging you. I, I'm like saying, I'll, I'll say it for myself. Uh, I complained that I wish I got better night, uh, quality sleep last night. I don't know why I woke up so many times. That was weird. Or like I complained that, uh, you know, I didn't have the food in my fridge that I thought I had, so I couldn't make the breakfast I wanted. I complained that my son didn't eat breakfast this morning, even though I made him two separate breakfasts. So come on now. Uh, <laughs> parents of toddlers right there. Yeah. I think it, there's so many things I could complain about. But you know what's funny about that is there are more things to give thanks for, but so often we don't even notice those things. Like, do you know what an ordinary day is? Like, 
privilege. <laughs> when things don't go wrong, have you ever said thank you for a day that went like pretty, like it was a monotonous day? Monotony is a gift of luxury, by the way. But how about noticing those things too? That God, thank you that we can gather here. Thank you that that worship band is like freaking awesome. Like that they're facilitating a, facilitating a place for us to sing to God, to connect, to put a pause on everything else going on, to say, God, I'm here. What do you want to speak to me today? Like we could say, thank you that we have friends who are like-minded. They're on a journey with us to follow Jesus passionately, even in a day and a time that looks really confusing on how, that, how that's going to go. There's a lot to give thanks for. What's going to steal the spotlight of the present moment? The complaining, the grumbling, or the gratitude? The choice is yours. Like the power is in your hands to choose what your eye is looking for. And it's about training our eye to see those things. Because the grateful get more gratitude. That's why it works like compound interest a little bit. So that's why I'm going to share this little thing from, there's some research I found from a psychologist named Karen Young. She has lots of great articles. I love following her work. And she was talking about gratitude one time and she said this, research has shown that gratitude can improve general well-being, increase resilience, strengthen social relationships, and reduce stress and depression. The more grateful people are, the greater their overall well-being and life satisfaction. Man, that's selling me right there. They'll also have stronger immune systems, lower blood pressure, better sleep, and better waking. They'll be more alert, more generous, compassionate, and happier. Now, if that wasn't enough, here's what she says. But consistency is key. Or as I would say, but consistency is king king in this matter. Gratitude builds on itself because we know that the brain changes with experience. The more gratitude is practiced, the more the brain learns to tune into the positive things in the world. She's not even a Christ follower. She's talking about the common grace that God gave us a brain that has neuroplasticity that can still change and adapt by just being positive. Oh man, but if she knew Jesus... How much more reason do we have to be grateful than someone who's just trying to like find the silver lining in life? Like, I'm serious here. Like, we have the gospel. We, we're gospel people. That means good news. Like, finding the good in life is something that should come really naturally for us. In fact, in our life groups, we should be training each other to find the good. Again, not being dismissive of the bad, not being dismissive. We want to walk with you through that. We want to pray through that. We want to find solutions where there's solutions. And when there's not, we want to cry with you. I mean that. But seriously, there's also the sense in which there's a lot of good to see in life. And Paul was on to something. When he said, give thanks in all circumstances, maybe that's our way of holding on to hope. Maybe that's our way of saying, there's a lot of things that are not ideal right now. But gratitude is gonna ground me in this present moment. I'm gonna see that there's a lot, that God is still at work. Even when I don't see it, he's working. It's like we sang a song about that a few minutes ago. You know, Waymaker. The lyrics of that are so on point with what we're trying to say. And so important is gratitude to me and my family that when we were, uh, when Ariana was pregnant with Cairo, we chose, we needed to write out seven family values that were going to help us live a Christ-centered, uh, fulfilling life. And when we were trying to narrow down to seven, gratitude made the list. And so we defined gratitude this way, the intentional practice of reliving the delight of someone or something as fresh as the first time the intentional practice of reliving the delight of someone or something as fresh as the first time. 
Here's how it works in my marriage, okay? I'm a hugger. So by the way, if I meet you and I give you a hug, it's because I'm just a hugger. That's just how I am. And uh, with Ariana, I remember back the days when we were first dating and, oh yeah, you know, when you're first dating, you just want all the hugs and you want long hugs. Not like the side hug, you want the long hugs. But it's amazing how in marriage, doesn't matter if you've been married two years, seven years, going on eight years or 20 years or whatever, the enemy no longer wants you guys to touch each other anymore. Can I just call that out? Like, the enemy wants you to touch each other a lot when you're dating, but not when you're not. And <laughs> when you're married, he doesn't want you guys touching each other. Maybe too much to say in church, I'll stop there. Okay. <laughs> but here's what I'm saying, though. Like, one thing that I can practice gratitude in my marriage, I feel like this practice for me has been helpful. I just say, Arian, we just need a hug. Like, when we do this long hug, and there's also psychology that supports that, like, oh my gosh, it decompresses you and all of that. But long hugs are how I relive the delight of even my wife as fresh as the first time. It reminds me of that first love, that young love. And so I hope we keep practicing that. But what if it's like this with our faith too? Have you ever thought about how we have like a liturgical calendar built into the year? Like we have this season called Advent, which is when we build up to Christmas day, but the celebration of the birth of Jesus. And then we have this other season called Lent, which is 40 days building up to Easter, Good Friday and Easter, the most important times of the calendar year. Could it be that we're not putting those in the calendar year because we're just trying to, because we forget that those stories of Jesus really happened. We're not trying to just remember the stories. We're trying to relive those stories. Did you catch that? Why it's so different between those two? Because if we're just remembering that story, well, then all that's doing is just an intellectual practice for our brain. Cool. But that's not that transformative. But what gratitude does, and when we go through the calendar year like this, and we engage the story of scripture again and again like this, it could be as fresh as the first time. I'm sure your pastors can all tell you, and I can say this too, that this past Good Friday was the most meaningful to me in my whole life. This past, like, like it's almost like it's growing with me as I'm growing in gratitude. The more I appreciate the gospel of what Jesus has done for me, it doesn't lose its potency. It's actually growing in potency. That's the power of gratitude. It does something for you. So I want to challenge you to uh, do something today, okay? This is how we're going to be kind of closing this out today. It's called the 518 challenge. I'm wearing a shirt that says 518. If you were wondering what it was, it has to do with 1 Thessalonians 518. There you go. I'm outing it right now to give thanks in all circumstances. So here's my challenge for you. You can pull out your phone if you'd like and set a reminder to go off every day at 518 p.m. I've been doing this for two years. Every day at 5.18 p.m., I write, give thanks to God. And I'm challenging myself to put in something super specific whenever that reminder goes off. Just something specific from that day. And it could be something kind of just like ordinary. Like, gosh, thank you, God, that, yeah. You know, today was smooth. I was stressed about how that meeting would go. I went really well. Thank you. I sensed your hand in that. Thanks for your favor in that. It could be something more, just like maybe God is putting on your heart this remembrance of how forgiven and free you are. Thank you, God. Thanks that you're reminding me of how much you love me. It could be that. But can you do this challenge that every day at 5.18 p.m., whether you're by yourself or you're with someone, you just take a moment to practice gratitude. Now, of course, I want you to live a lifestyle of gratitude. I want you to be grateful all throughout the day, in all circumstances for the rest of your life until you see Jesus face to face. Amen. But within that, here's why I love 5.18 p.m. This is the most inconvenient time of day. 
Guess what? I was, uh, a few years ago, I started this challenge because I liked 1 Thessalonians 5.18. I'm like, 5.18 p.m. is going to be great, all that. It's an awful time of day. You're either wrapping up work, driving home from work, cooking dinner for a toddler that might or might not eat it, uh, it, probably in crisis mode if you're also going somewhere else that's not home to a meeting with someone that's probably in tragedy. 5.18 p.m. is a time of transition, uh, Either and it's a time also that like a lot of studies have shown that um, at least for those who go to work and then come home from work, it's a time you're usually checking out mentally. You're disengaging and you want to veg out. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing per se. I'm just being aware of the fact that even for myself, that's a time when I don't have my best self. But what I've noticed is, and I sometimes snooze that alarm, full transparency, I don't always practice the 518 challenge. But when I do... When I do, take a moment and not just superficially say, thank you, God. Like, like ah, God, let me rehearse this day. Thank you, God. It does something powerful. It reminds me of the God who's bigger and the plan that's bigger than what I'm in. I want to close in prayer, but I want to ask you to read these verses multiple times this week. If you're looking for something to read this week, can it be these three verses? Because here's my theory with all these three verses. When we ask about the will of God for our life, could it be that rejoicing, always praying continually and giving thanks in all circumstances is the way in which we take that next step forward no matter what we're going through? Like, you know those times you're like, what do I do next? And there is sometimes that hyper-specific guidance that the Holy Spirit will give you. But sometimes you just need to keep rejoicing your way through it and being innovative with your joy. You just need to keep praying and pushing through prayer, continuing through life. And you just need to stay grounded in gratitude at what God has done and what God has promised to do. If you keep rejoicing, you keep praying, you keep giving thanks, I promise you this, you will at the very least be walking in the will of God for your life. Not my word, Paul's word. Let's pray. Lord, you are so good to us. And gosh, I'm just overwhelmed by your patience with us and your your forgiveness for us, God. Thank you for this place that we are constantly reminded we begin our week worshiping you, welcoming you and saying, God, have your way. You are king of our lives. I pray this message today would not just be words that leave us, God, but your Holy Spirit would implant them in our hearts that this would become kind of a motto and a mantra for us moving forward. Help our feet keep moving forward to this rhythm and beat God to rejoice and pray and give thanks. Teach us the deep meaning of this passage as we go through our day. Pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.